So we're going to read from 1 John 3 today. There's Bibles in front of you. Words will hopefully be on the screen behind me. But we're going to read 1 John 3, verses 4 through 10. Everyone who makes a practice of sinning also practices lawlessness. Sin is lawlessness. You know that he appeared in order to take away sins, and in him there is no sin. No one who abides in him keeps on sinning. No one who keeps on sinning has either seen him or known him. Little children, let no one deceive you. Whoever practices righteousness is righteousness, is righteous as he is righteous. Whoever makes a practice of sinning is of the devil, for the devil has been sinning from the beginning. The reason for the Son of God, the reason the Son of God appeared was to destroy the works of the devil. No one born of God makes a practice of sinning, for God's seed abides in him, and he cannot keep on sinning because he has been born of God. By this it is evident who are the children of God and who are the children of the devil. Whoever does not practice righteousness is not of God, nor is the one who does not love his brother. Good morning, church. Happy Easter. He has risen. I'm Pastor Ross. I'm one of the pastors here at All People's Church. I just want to extend a warm welcome to all our visitors and guests. We're so happy you're here with us this morning. You, um, you caught us in the middle of a series through the book of 1 John, which is uh, a letter to the early church. And as we open up this text this morning, we're going to see some really sweet and glorious and beautiful truths about Jesus and about God that we would expect to see on Easter. And we're going to also see some wonderful truths that we might not expect to see on Easter, but are so, so good for us to receive. Now, in the past several months, I've continued to struggle with the sin of negativity and anger. Like, it's just a reoccurring pattern in my life. It was easier for me to hide from people until I got married. Once you're married, you can't actually hide your sin from your wife because she's with you all the time. And I can get caught in these downward spirals where, where something I just can't control in my life doesn't go right. I get caught in a downward spiral of negativity and anger, and I end up withdrawing and then taking it out on people around me, and it can go on for hours at a time. It can go on for an entire afternoon, and by the end of it all, at times, my wife can be in tears. And moments like these are like a wake-up to me. Like, who are you, Ross? What have you done? What are you doing? I feel, I feel a sense of being appalled at what came out of me. And I just wonder, I don't wonder, I think this is just the case for us, that there are moments where we feel appalled at what comes out of us. And the troubling thing is that though, that's like some exception or some just accident that happened. That's actually our tr- part of our true selves, who we truly are, being revealed. There's something wrong inside of us. There's something broken inside of us. And the pain that's caused to us by others, the pain that we cause others, and just the brokenness of the world is, uh, is an evidence that something is not right with each one of us. 
So the question I want us to ask this morning, the question I want to look at this text for this morning is what's God's and what's Jesus' solution to this problem that there is a brokenness and an evil in us that comes out of us and hurts other people and all the other ways that evil and darkness tends to flow out out of us no matter how hard we try to stop it, no matter how hard we try to suppress it, and no matter how hard we have to change ourselves. And what hope do we have? If we can't change ourselves, what hope do we have? And where can we look for that hope? So let's hop into this letter. Let's hop into this text together. And let's see what the Lord would have to say to us on this Easter morning. So John begins by writing, Everyone who makes a practice of sinning also practices lawlessness. Sin is lawlessness. So last week we heard Pastor Sam preach about Jesus coming back and how the hope that Jesus would come back one day purifies us today. Now we're hearing about the fact that there's impurity in us. There's impurity in all kinds of people. Myself and you, at least at one point in your life, have made a practice of sinning. A practice of sinning means it's your habit. Right? It's not something you just happen to do, and it's a one-off, a practice of sin means it's your habit. And sin, sin is the ways that we fail to love other God and love other people. Can you imagine how wonderful your life would be if all you did was love God and love people? Sin is the destruction and distortion of the way the world is supposed to be, the way that we're supposed to be. It's, It's ways that we act in inhumane ways to ourselves and other people. It it denigrates, it it vandalizes, it, it makes our souls ugly and dirty. It makes other people's souls ugly and dirty, right? It hurts us and it hurts others. And in the culture and world in which we live, it's so easy to try to brush over it. It's so easy to try to sweep it under the rug and to ignore it. Like, oops, I made a mistake. I'll try harder next time. Mistakes were made. We we have phrases and sayings like this that try to minimize what's happening in here and ignore it. But John won't let us do that. John will not let us do that this morning. God wants to clarify for us what is actually going on. He says, everyone who makes a practice of sinning also practices lawlessness. Sin is lawlessness. Sin makes us lawbreakers. Sin breaks God's law. We make mistakes when we think that when we sin, we just didn't check something off a checklist. We just didn't happen to do something that would have made grandma happy. Right? No, sin is actually breaking God's law, and there's no higher law that could be broken. Like, I would be really, really disturbed if I got summoned to court for breaking the laws of Minnesota. And I should be much more disturbed that I have broken the laws of a holy God. The crazy change in thinking happens when we realize that our sin is a personal offense against a holy God. You might not be thinking about God when you sin. You might not be thinking about what's happening. But at the end of the day, you're rejecting him, you're refusing him, and you are Showing disdain and hatred against him. Sin is lawlessness. 
And John wants us to get that so we can get what else he's trying to tell us. Now, John wants to show us a beautiful diamond this morning, a beautiful, sparkling diamond. And if I were going to show you a diamond, and I really wanted you to see how much it sparkles and how beautiful it is, I would hold it up against the cloth. What, what color cloth would I hold it up against? A black cloth. Now, our sin and our failures are a black cloth that help a beautiful diamond shimmer and glow and reflect beautifully for us. And that is exactly what John wants to show us in verse 5. So let's listen together to verse 5. You know that he appeared in order to take away sins. And in him there is no sin. John refers to someone he calls he. It's a man that he spent three years of his life with, a man who he saw never sin, a man who he saw go to the cross to sacrifice himself for others and walk out of the grave three days later. And he says that he, Jesus, appeared in order to take away sins. So appeared is the idea that in Jesus, God became a human being with one of us. <laughs> Just try to comprehend that. God became a human being with one of us, like one of us. That's what he means by appeared. And the purpose that he appeared was in order to take our sins away. The word here, take away sins, means something like lift away your sins. If you can think of yourself having a 500-pound boulder on your back that's just crushing you all day, some of you might feel like that in your heart, like you just walk around with this sense of game, shame, or guilt, or something like that. The reason the Son of God appeared was to lift that off of you. It would have killed you. It would have killed me. It would have separated me from God forever unless the Son of God appeared to lift away my sins. That's the reason that Jesus appeared. Now, this, these words and this phrase appear earlier on in the Bible. In, in, so, so John wrote this letter. He also wrote a story about Jesus' life called the Gospel of John. And in that, in that story, when, uh, when a guy named John the Baptizer, a different John, first he's Jesus, these are the words that he says. The next day, he saw Jesus coming towards him and said, Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. There's that phrase again. He takes away the sins of the world. He's the Lamb of God. And if you read the Bible, what you learn is that a lamb is a sacrificial animal. So when Jesus went to the cross, he was dying as a sacrifice in the place of sinners like me. So the way Jesus lifts sins off of people who come to them, come to him, is he takes them on himself. Good Friday that we just celebrated, Monday, Thursday that we just celebrated, is us remembering Jesus' death. His death is him taking our sins upon himself so that he can lift them off of us. Has anything so wonderful ever been done for you in your whole life? 
That sins that would condemn you forever have been lifted off your back and placed on someone else's back who was willing to take them for you so he could forgive you. And Easter Sunday, Resurrection Sunday, is the moment where Jesus walks out of the grave as a testimony that it is finished. If you ever doubted Jesus' work, if you ever doubted his ability to forgive you or to take away your guilt or your shame, look no further than the resurrection. That's God saying, mission accomplished. Jesus didn't stay dead because he conquered death. When he died on the cross, he conquered death. And as a sign that death has been defeated in him, he came out of the grave. That's what we're celebrating this morning. Amen? This Jesus in whom there's no sin, who died to lift away sins, he didn't do it, right? He didn't do it so that we would be indifferent from our sin. He did it to change us. So you could think of yourself as having all your sins lifted away. You could think of yourself as having been forgiven for your sins. And often we can think, well, I can just live however I want to. If all my sins are forgiven, and if it doesn't come down to me because Jesus came to lift away my sins, then I can live however I want to. And Jesus did not die Jesus did not take away our sins so that we would be unchanged. He died in order to completely remake and transform us. And that's what we're going to continue to hear about now as John writes. He says, No one who abides in him keeps on sinning. No one who keeps on sinning has ever seen him or known him. Little children... Let no one deceive you. Whoever practices righteousness is righteous as he is righteous. So he begins by saying, no one who abides in him keeps on sinning. This word abide is a strange word. It's not a word that I often use. And when you abide with someone, right, you fully give yourself over to them in relationship. Fully commit yourself to them in relationship. Some of you have experienced this maybe in a marriage maybe in a friendship or something like that. You just, you're fully in. And when you're invited to come and believe in Jesus and have him lift away your sins, he's not inviting you to be partially in. He's inviting you and he's inviting me to be fully in to the point that we can say that we abide in him. And when we abide in him, we cease to make a practice of sinning. The way you know that you're abiding in Jesus is if your life is changing day by day. I know you read that and it says no one who abides in him keeps on sinning. Well, does that mean that I just stop sinning entirely? Does that mean I just say nope and I never sin again as long as I live? And the answer is absolutely not to that. Absolutely not. John is clear earlier that if anyone says they don't have sin, they make God out to be a liar. So we will all sin until Jesus comes back and we see him face to face. Then we will never sin anymore. In the meantime, the question is, do you know him or not? Are you abiding in him or not? And if you're abiding in him, you'll find yourself sinning less and less. And if you're not abiding in him, you'll find your life not changing at all. That's the point John is getting at right here. When you 
commit yourself fully to someone else in a relationship, it always changes you. It always changes you. You can't fully be in a relationship with someone and not be changed. The things they say start to roll off your tongue. The habits they do start to become your habits. Like, some of you guys who are in Dale's MC might find yourself with a sudden urge to say things like, sup. <laughs> right? You spend, you spend time with people. You, you, catch, you catch who they are. This verse is telling us, my friends, reminding us that you can't spend time with Jesus and not be changed. Right? Don't be deceived. Don't think that you know Jesus if you're fundamentally the same person. But rather, as you spend time with him and his holy, perfect life is caught by you and you're changed, you become more and more confident and sure that I know him. I'm alive. He's changed me. I'm abiding in him. Look at what he's done for me. No one who keeps on sinning has either seen him or known him. No one who keeps on sinning has either seen him or know, known him, right? So, so if I just say that I'm a follower of Jesus, but my, but my life just doesn't change at all, and I'm just the exact same person as I was before, and, and nothing happened to change my heart, you would be right to come up to me and say, Ross, are, are, you, sure? are you sure that you know him? Like, for example, if, if, if I went, if I said I went to the Grand Canyon and saw the splendor and the wonder and the beauty of that place, and someone asked me, how was it? And I answered, I, I wasn't that impressed. I actually liked the restaurant more that we went to afterwards. Someone who had been there and seen it would be like, I'm not sure you saw it. I think you were confused. I think you made a mistake, right? So, so there's this idea that when we see and know Jesus, we change because he's greater than anything else we've ever seen or ever known. So the, the reason why you sin and I sin is because that at that moment is the most appealing thing to us. When we sin, we are literally in the throes of despair because we cannot see anything better than that sin at that moment. And the most beautiful, liberating thing happens when you become a follower of Jesus. There's finally someone or something better than your sin. You're finally free from it. You finally have a better desire to follow after. When Jesus comes out of the grave, he's the person that we can go to. He's the person who we can love and be free from lesser loves that destroy us and destroy other people. Which means this morning, we have a mortal fight against sin. Each one of us do. Each one of us are called into that. And the way that we fight is not first by mustering up more willpower. The way that we fight is not first by mustering up more willpower. The way that we fight is we fight to see someone who's more beautiful than the old things we used to love. When Jesus comes out of the grave, it is a proclamation to us that this is the one you've been waiting for. All of us are born craving. Babies crave. My daughter craves for things all the time. And as old as you get, you never stop craving. You're always looking for someone to satisfy you. And all I'm here this morning is to tell you that I found him. And we found him. And if you haven't seen him yet, if you haven't left your sin yet, come on. Come on. We would love for you to follow Jesus 
with us. Now, verse 7, John writes, Little children, let no one deceive you. We're going to hear more this morning about an enemy who wants to deceive us. There is nothing the enemy wants more than to keep you and to keep me as our old selves, unfree from our sin, unfree from his rule over our lives. He doesn't want us to become new. He doesn't want us to become Christ's. And so he's going to try to deceive us. And John says, little children, let no one deceive you. Whoever practices righteousness is righteous as he is righteous. So those who have been changed by Jesus are truly his. And the world, your old flesh and the devil are going to try to tell you the lie that you can just remain fundamentally the same and God is okay with that. Is there anything else that sounds at us more clearly from our culture than you're just fine the way that you are? That's the message that we hear. And I'm here saying this morning that that's deception. Let no one deceive you. Christ will receive you as you are, but he'll never leave you as you are. Let me say that again. Christ will receive you as you are, but he'll never leave you as you are. And the deception that is coming at you this morning is that nothing needs to change and I'm okay. Where even I, who walk with Jesus, need to remind myself this morning that everything needs to change. Every day, I wake up and I got to reorient myself from self to God. Whoever practices righteousness is righteous as he is righteous. So the evidence that my God and Jesus has lifted away my sins and made me righteous is that I'm becoming righteous like he is righteous. Another deception that we often fall prey to is that righteousness is boring. Obedience is boring. Becoming like God is boring. But it's nothing less than you changing from someone the enemy of God wanted you to be into the person God wants you to be. It's nothing less than you becoming righteous as Jesus is righteous. Do you not want to be the best version of yourself? What if you were told that you could become someone more beautiful, more wonderful than you ever thought you could be? What if someone told you it'd be possible for you to be like Jesus and what he would be like if he was you and to have that kind of impact on people around you? and to change people's lives all around you? What if someone told you that that kind of transformation and growth is possible? That's what God's holding out for us this morning. Not a boring checklist, but becoming a kind of person who changes other people's lives, who changes your family's lives, who changes your neighborhood, who changes your church, that you would have an impact in this life that would last forever. I love it. I love it when I see people becoming holy in this church. Like, I am inspired by some of the lives that I see in this church, and I am just worshiping God. I see some people going through immense suffering, and yet they're worshiping God and praising God, and I am deeply inspired by the way that they proclaim him, even when things are not going the way that they would want it to go at all. I think of lives like Luke Schmalz, Jerry Schwanke, 
or Josie Patterson, just people who are in the fire, and yet all they do is say, Christ is worth it. And then I want to say, Christ is worth it. And all of us can be that kind of person who makes other people say, Christ is worth it. That's what it means, don't let anyone deceive you. Whoever practices righteousness is righteous as he is righteous. Now, one thing that happens as we go through these letters, John's writings, is that he has a tendency to repeat himself. So if we read the next verses and it sounds a lot like the verses that we already read, that's because that's how he does it. That's how he rolls. And it's good because it's good for us to keep turning these same things over in our minds so that we understand deeply what God wants to say to us. So let's take a look now at verse 8. Whoever makes a practice of sinning is of the devil. For the devil has been sinning from the beginning. The reason the Son of God appeared was to destroy the works of the devil. What a verse. The reason the Son of God appeared was to destroy the works of the devil. Who hates all of the pain and evil and suffering that the devil has brought into this world? The reason the Son of God appeared was to destroy the works of the devil. Now again, John says, whoever makes a practice of sinning is of the devil. My goodness, my goodness. Which means that for a great portion of my life, I had no awareness of this because I was deceived. I had no awareness of this. But my failure to follow Jesus meant that I was following someone else who had a horrible plan for me. And a horrible plan for every one of us. The devil means the slanderer or the adversary. Right? We got to wake up to this. We have an enemy this morning who's trying to kill us. Right? If you read the story of Jesus' life, he did everything he could to nail Jesus to that cross and kill him. He wants the same thing for our souls. He, whoever makes a practice of sinning is of the devil, which means that when we're deceived and don't live in the way God wants us to, we're living in the way he wants us to. It's one or the other. Either, the God, either God or the devil has mastery over us and is directing our lives. There is no in-between. John says, for the devil has been sinning from the beginning. You guys hear that word, the beginning? That's a, a key word in the Bible. It brings us all the way back to the beginning of Genesis. Brings us all the way back to the start of everything. And in the beginning, the first two human beings, there was no sin. There was no darkness. There was no pain until a serpent came into the garden, lied to them, got them to disobey God. And since then, humans in every generation have had a broken relationship with God, have been deceived by the serpent, and have been following his plan. His plan is to kill people forever. His plan is to kill people forever. And the only way that he can do that is to bring sin and guilt and shame into our lives to separate us from God so that we live outside of relationship with him. All the other pain, all this other suffering, all the other death is just an outworking of that first work of his, which is to separate sinners from God. If you've ever felt like God is distant, 
If you ever feel like you don't know him, if you ever feel condemned by him, if you ever feel like he doesn't want you, that's the work of the devil to keep you from him. The devil has been sinning from the beginning. And yet, also in the beginning, God made a promise. You guys remember this in our Genesis series? God made a promise. He said that he was going to send an offspring. And that offspring, though his heel was going to be bruised by the serpent, he was going to crush that serpent's skull. Amen? That enemy who wants to destroy you forever, God made a plan to destroy him forever. And so when Jesus comes on Good Friday and he hangs on the cross, the devil thought he was destroying Jesus, but Jesus was actually destroying him. The reason the Son of God came to earth was to destroy the works of the devil. The devil didn't know it, but God was putting on Jesus all the guilt, all the shame of Jesus' people so that they could be forgiven forever. So that they could come back into relationship with God that the source of life they had been separated from, they might be restored to. Jesus hung on the cross so that you and me could come back to God today. The greatest threat to your life was defeated when God sent Jesus to destroy the works of the devil. He crushed him. He crushed him. And when Jesus comes back, the whole world's going to be made new. There'll be no more suffering, sin, or pain, or shame. And it's all because of what happened on Good Friday. And Easter Sunday is the celebration that it is finished. It is finished. Your sin, your guilt, your shame is finished this morning if you come to Jesus. That's what we're celebrating. Jesus was born to die so that those who were born dead can live. Jesus was born to die so that those like you and me who were born dead might live. The same word, destroy, same word destroy comes up earlier in this, in this story, in, in, sorry, in the story of Jesus' life. Right, there's this, there's this moment where Jesus is walking on the earth and his friend named Lazarus dies. Does anyone remember this story where Lazarus dies? And, and Jesus comes and Jesus is weeping. The people, the family are weeping that Lazarus is dead. And Mary, Lazarus' sister, said to Jesus, if you'd only been here, Jesus, he wouldn't have died. And Jesus says, it's a good thing that he died because I will show you now the power of God. And then Jesus says these words. When Jesus had said these things, he cried out with a loud voice, Lazarus, come out. The man who had died came out his hands and feet bound with linen strips, and his face wrapped with a cloth. And Jesus said to them, unbind him and let him go. That word unbind is the same word as destroy. Jesus came to unbind me and unbind you from the grave clothes of death that our enemy had dressed us in. All our sins are the grave clothes of death that our enemy has bound us in. And we need more than anything for Jesus to speak over us this morning. Unbind him and let him go. Unbind her and let her go. The things that Jesus destroys and unbinds us from are our old addictions, our sexual immorality, our pride and arrogance, 
our unforgiveness and bitterness, our shame and dislike of even ourselves, there's nothing, nothing that the Lord Jesus can't unbind you from this morning if you'll just come to him. And now John keeps going and keeps repeating, keeps helping us to understand these ideas. No one born of God makes a practice of sinning. For God's seed abides in him, and he cannot keep on sinning because he has been born of God. By this it is evident who are the children of God and who are the children of the devil. Whoever does not practice righteousness is not of God, nor is the one who does not love his brother. Now John refers to this new start we have in Jesus in a new way. No one who is born of God practices sinning. To follow Jesus is to become completely new. Like there's an old heart with old desires that needs to die and a new heart with new desires that needs to raise. The phrase the Bible often uses, that Jesus often uses, is being born again. To be a Christian is nothing less than to be a walking miracle where God has remade you from who you used to be. John also says, for God's seed abides in him. For God's seed abides in him. This is an image or a way of saying that when you follow Jesus, you are being fathered by God. You are being fathered by God. Which means that you've been delivered out of the fathering of the devil. You had a father whose intent was to destroy you. When you follow God and follow Jesus, you have a father whose intent is to rescue you and bless you forever and give you the whole world. You couldn't have had a worse father in the devil, and you couldn't have had a better father in God, and that's what Jesus gives to us. And then something so beautiful happens. It says, and he cannot keep on sinning because he's been born of God. He cannot keep on sinning because he's been born of God. So when you have a new birth and you have a new father, you have new desires. We were talking earlier about when you see Jesus, you just love him more than you loved your sin. You just care about him more than you cared about your sin. And to say that you cannot keep on sinning is the experience of saying, I want to sin. I feel like it. I feel it, but I want him so much more. There's no way I'm going back. There is no way I'm going back. And oh, I wish that you would say with me this morning, there's no way I'm going back to the old life, the old man, and the old way of living. Right? I have been fathered by God. I have a new destiny. I have a new household. I have new joys and new desires. I've been born again, and there's no way I'm going back. Right? You could even... Think of this, just imagine, imagine that you live alone and depression starts to take over you and, and you start to, to binge, eat, and drink as a way to alleviate the depression and uh, you put on weight and you become rather immobile and you become isolated and alone and you, and you feel lonely, right? You have your vice, you have your sin that you go to to overindulge and it's ruining your life and you feel trapped in it. You can't get away from it. Some of you probably feel like this in some way this morning. Like you just feel trapped in some indulgence, in some sort of addiction that you have, and it's ruining your life. Until suddenly, there's a neighbor of yours who comes and knocks on your door and says, Hey, man, 
uh, I'm your neighbor and we're friends now. We're friends now. And more than that, I want you to come hang out with my friends and I want you to join our Ultimate Frisbee Club. You're, you're on the team whether you like it or not. And you're like, dude, I can't even run. I can't even run. What do you want me to do? Well, I'm going to be here tomorrow at 6 a.m. and we're going to start, we'll walk. And we're going to change your diet together. Right? And, and you decide, you think about it. You, you're, you're scared, right? You, you love your old life. There's the parts about your old lifestyle you love, but you decide you hate it enough that you're going to go for this. And you start to change. You change what you eat. You change the way you exercise. You start to shed pounds. You find yourself becoming more healthy. You find yourself out there running around like you hadn't in a few years. Right? Everything's changed about you. The way you look, the way you feel, the way you relate. You've been completely set free. You've been completely made new. And there are nights where you go home and you look at that fridge, right? And you feel that pull. You feel that pull to go back to your old self and your old life, and your response is, I won't go back. I've been brought into something so much bigger and so much better than what used to be. That's exactly what we're being invited into when he says he cannot keep on sinning. You've been offered someone something so much more. You've been born of God. Let's never go back, church. Let's never go back. By this it is evident who are children of God, and who are children of the devil. Whoever does not practice righteousness is not of God, nor is the one who does not love his brother. The evidence that God has rescued us is that he's also rescued the way that we live. He's also rescued the way that we live. And I just want to speak a word to those of you who are here this morning who are not yet following Jesus who have not yet come to him, who have not yet known God through Jesus. As this text says, you have an evil father who is trying to ruin your life and your soul right now. And the emptiness inside of you testifies to that, that he's succeeding. It testifies to that. Now, if you were a child who is growing up in an abusive home, where your parents were trying to ruin you and were selfishly using you for their own benefit and you were being set up to live that way for the rest of your life, what would you need more than anything else? You need a new home. You need to be taken out of that broken, evil, corrupt home and put into a good home with a good father and good siblings. And as we listen to these verses this morning, my friends, that's exactly the offer God is making to you. If you follow Jesus, you come under his fatherhood. You come into his household. You leave your old sinful habits and brokenness behind. Right? The past will still influence you, but it won't control you anymore. The past will still influence you, but it won't control you anymore. It's like you're born again and you get to Begin life again in a new household, and we want that for you more than anything else in the whole world. So church, let's never go back. And those of you who have never followed Jesus yet, please come. Please come this morning, this Easter morning, and, and join us. Let's pray. Jesus, 
Thank you that you are the living one. You have the keys of death and Hades, and you set people free. And I ask this morning that you would bring all of us into new levels of freedom from our old father, that you would destroy his hold on us, and you would strengthen your hold on us. And I ask that if anyone is in his clutches and not yet following you, that you would set them free, that you would call them back from death, and you would say, unbind them and let them go. And they would begin to follow you. In Jesus' name, amen. I'm just going to invite you now just to break up in groups, pray for each other. Just ask that you just share with those around you just, just one, one area you want God to keep setting you free. If you're, if you're able to do that this morning and just let other people pray for you in that. If there's anyone here who wants to begin following Jesus for the first time, I just want to invite you just to let someone know, another member of our church know, say, hey, I want to, this is something that I want, and ask them, what are the first steps? What should I do?